When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday to you. I'm Al Melchior, and I'm here with Eno Saris for another edition here of Rates and Barrels. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this is a, this is a fun one, Eno. I know you're excited. I've been excited about this. Eno talked to Cardinals outfielder Lars Newtbar. Really, really cool, interesting interview uh, that we will get to a little bit later on in the program. Uh, we'll talk a little bit uh about, well, some of his uh, training that he's been doing and uh, kind of generalized from some of Newt Barr's trends to maybe some some other players. So uh, a lot of good stuff to get to here. Just want to remind everybody that the 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit is out on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels to access that and everything on the site for just $2 a month for the first year. So uh, a great deal. Make sure you take advantage of that. So, uh, Eno, uh, I know you've been been uh, chomping on the bit to uh, <laughs> talk about this this interview here. So let's start off just by um, just kind of refreshing our our memory and everybody's memory on exactly what the journey has been for Lars Newtbar. So uh, a big breakout last year, but something that I, I think has been you know, in the making for a little while. And again, he talks about this in, in his interview with you. Uh, but what are the, the key things as we look ahead to 2023 that we, sh- the trends that we should focus on for new bar? Yeah. The, uh, the real cool thing about his progression through the minor leagues and his progression as a baseball players, I think one that you'll hear is sort of an open-mindedness to new kinds of um, training and uh, and improving himself as a baseball player, but also um, within the context of, say, maybe organizational uh, ideas about how to develop players. Uh, you know, I think of the Cleveland Guardians, actually, um, when I look at Lars Newtbar's progression through the minor leagues. Here's a guy who makes a lot of contact, has a great eye at the plate, and does not hit the ball hard. That sounds like every Cleveland Guardians prospect, you know? So, um, you know, and I think the hope with the Guardians is they they do what Newt Barr did. And you're going to hear about the, the training methods, but what you see is a progression of isolated power, slugging numbers as he goes through the minors, as he goes through these. And, and actually even more than a progression, a large jump. And, yeah. um, you know, you'll hear what the, 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 the training method is, but one of the biggest ones is weighted bats. And it's a little bit like what the Guardians do on the pitching side, which is take guys with multiple pitches, a good slider, command, and give them weighted balls and see if they can throw harder. So in this case... Uh, the research is clear on both sides, and Coop Duren is actually a famous researcher from the University of Hawaii, uh, well-known in player development circles. He is the guy who's done peer-reviewed, uh, you know, lock-solid research on the value of weighted balls and weighted bats uh, to increase bat speed and increase arm speed, increase pitch speed. 
Um, and so there's a real corollary there. And what you see uh, with Newt Barr at the major leagues is a, just a real culmination of all those skills where last year he had a better than average strikeout rate, a way better than average walk rate, a better than average isolated slugging. Um, almost everything worked out for him except for the batted ball luck. And, um, you know, I think some of the new rules will, will help him there. He's a lefty. But uh, you see a 12% barrel rate, a 113 max EV. That's up from a 109.5 in 2021. Basically, all his power numbers are exploding. Well, and I don't think you can understand or understate rather the the magnitude of that explosion. Uh, if you go to his uh, his uh, stat page, I'm looking here on Fangraphs. Uh, take a look at 2019 which he split across three levels, uh, A, high A, and then double A. And not a lot of power at those last couple of stops. And the the last stop, double A Springfield, that is a hitter's park. Now, he only played 33 games for them, so figure he had, you know, 15, 16, 17 games in that park. But he did not homer a single time (laughs) and had an 043 ISO in 2019 at Springfield. That's, you know... That's outrageous. Uh, yeah. So for him to get from that point in 2019 to the gains that he made uh, when baseball, you know, uh, minor league baseball came back in, in 2021. And then, of course, what we saw last year, it's it's remarkable. Yeah. And uh, it's just, uh, it, you know, you it's hard to like translate into like, how do I find sleepers like this? Uh, but, you know, it is one thing that you can do is look just at strikeout leaders in the minors that don't that haven't had that uh power breakout i, I think uh if you think about it the the jordan groshans trade uh uh from the uh from the blue jays actually makes a little bit more sense you know under this light where you're like hey he makes a lot of contact at double a you know he's he's right there near the big leagues if we can just coach a little more power out of him that's going to be great um, maybe a guy like uh, Joey Ortiz, uh, you know, the double A uh, shortstop for for Baltimore. Uh, you know, those ISOs are creeping upwards. Like maybe there's going to be a big power, uh, a big power step forward for him at some point. Uh, people talk about Parker Meadows. Um, you know, is the power enough? Well, you know, the the power, the, the contact, and the patience are really there. Uh, so I, it's one reason why I do prefer minor leaguers that have good strikeout rates because when they put it all together, it can look really exciting and it will have a better batting average. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's a, obviously it's a, it's a risky approach, but like you gave the example of Groshans and he hit a lot better with the Marlins in that brief call up last year than I, I certainly would have expected. And maybe that's exactly what the thinking was there in that organization. Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, the the other thing that is it's hard, um, and we'll talk a little about it a little bit later, is just knowing um, who's doing the right training uh, to, to, to get this out of them, you know. And that requires a sort of weird divination where you're like, well, the Rays are good and the Cardinals are good and, oh, we went to driveline. And, you, know, like, you know, it's like <laughs> that yeah. part uh, I don't love. And it's also just really deceptive because people do go to driveline and not get better. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But, um, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of focusing on guys who do have good contact skills um, and and could explode if they added power will probably produce you some sleepers. 
All right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it's a, an approach that uh, matches worked out with uh, with a lot of hitters. Uh, so like you said, we'll get into uh, more of the the nitty gritty in terms of what it what Newbar did to to get to where he is and, and talk about some other players, too. But uh, before we get to the Newbar interview, I uh, just think it'd be helpful. Certainly would be helpful to me, to be honest. Um to talk a little bit about some of the things that you discuss with Lars. Um, you, you talk about trying out a K vest yourself, what that experience was. And uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, things that, that one could do at, at driveline. So uh, before we go to the interview, probably uh, a primer would be something that could be useful here. So uh, what are some things that we should know going into this interview? Yeah. Sometimes you, you get into the context with somebody where you all know all the terms and you forget that people are watching that, don't know all the terms. I mean, like for example, a K vest is a vest that you put on uh, that you wear that has sensors on it, and um, it can tell you your sequencing. So it tells you how, and there's a sensor on your arm too. So it can tell you if your uh, arms, you know, if your shoulders are, you know, you want to go, you want to go back with the shoulders and the arm, and then you want to come forward with the hips, and then you want to drag the, you want to bring the shoulders and the arms come last, the hands come last, right? So there's a sequencing that's been researched that shows that that's the ideal sequencing, and the vest can tell you if you're doing those things. Um, so that's a, it's just such a wearable technology, but other things that, um, that he'll talk about that are important are weighted bats. And I just talked about them a little bit. I think you can understand that pretty well, uh, in the context of weighted balls, they look like regular bats, but what's interesting is there's over and underweight. And the idea is that, um, an overweight bat sort of works you out in the baseball sense. Like you're, you're taking swings and you take a lot of swings and you get tired and then you recover and then you and then it's easier, right? Like it's, it's right. working out in the baseball sense, instead of doing a bunch of, uh, uh, of like, uh, pushups or, or, you know, like squats or whatever. Yes. Those things are useful, but there are smaller muscles that you use in the swing that you may not work out except for in the swing. And so weighted bats take advantage of that. They'd make you work out these, this, the, your muscles in the context of the swing. And uh, so that's why they work underweight works because it gets you used to um, uh, swinging fast. So this happens in sprinting. They do a thing where they sprint downhill or they turn the that uh, you can actually turn the uh, the the treadmill on so that it's like you're, tur- you're going downhill. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's less resistant. And the idea is to get your body used to running that fast. You know, like first you have to do all the workout, but then you have to just get used to moving that fast and like, and making, so underweight bats get you used to what is it like to adjust to a pitch or uh, do my swing and do it in a really light context in a really fast way. Um, And so you kind of, you, by toggling that overweight and underweight, you advance. And then one of the last things is what the environment looks like. I mean, you know, we both did the uh, motion capture where you take your clothes off, your, your, you take your shirts off and you, when you put little balls on you, I put balls on your hat and you, and these little balls are captured mm. by the cameras and then they can reduce you to a skeleton. And then they can say, Oh, you're like, they told me my, you know, minus minus pelvis and you know, this <laughs> and that. So, you know, like, you know, you get a readout and it tells you what to work on the nice thing is in this context now in player development now you can say okay here are five drills we here are the things we want to see out of your biomechanics right here are five drills we think will work you can do those five drills or you can do or here's one drill try it 
do the biomechanic assessment again. Well, I didn't do anything. So they're learning. They can actually assess these drills. We've had all these drills and people have said, oh, do the towel drill. Well, they checked the towel drill with the biomechanic assessment. and didn't do anything. So the towel drill is mm. not actually that useful. Um, my kids are now doing the towel drill. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> grumble, grumble. Dad knows better. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, y- y- that's the that's the idea is you you do this biomechanical assessment you do a bunch of drills you get in front of the machines the the guy tells you i want to see a 78 mile an hour bat speed out of this and there's a little marker there that says that shows spits out your your bat speed every time you do it and there'll be a training session it's not every training session but there will be a training session where everything that everything lars newtbar is doing is swinging as hard as he can and trying to get that number to 78 yes in the context of a ball coming at him and him trying to hit it yes still in a base baseball context not just like swinging to see what the number gets like still in a regular i'm trying to see this pitch and hit it but after the pitch he doesn't even look where the ball went or what happened he looks at the number that says his bat speed because that's what that training session wants to do so you'll hear him talk about different training goals those are different training sessions different years to years and um, i think he his conversation about you know, he, he worked with John Soteropoulos uh, at, at Driveline. You'll hear um, their growth. And uh, the, I think their their growth as a uh, player and coach really mimics some explosive growth in uh, the hitting space recently. Finally, hitters are kind of uh, taking advantage of all the tools that pitchers have been using. Um, and, uh, so we we're now hearing much more about weighted bats in the news. And, uh, here's an interview with a guy who just really exploded, uh, based on his use of weighted bats. All right. Here we are with Lars Newtbar, soon to be star outfielder for the, uh, Cardinals. Um, and, uh, we got to know each other. Uh, I, I met you at the AFL, uh, by the batting cage. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about how you were taking control of your career and trying to, uh, time to get better. Then I saw you when I was visiting up in Driveline, and I saw you doing some of that stuff. So could you tell me a little bit about uh, what you spent uh, the offseason doing at Driveline this season and last season and how you got there? Like, how how did you end up there? Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start with this offseason. This offseason was a little bit different from last. Um, last offseason, it was more bat speed focus this year at the beginning it was more bat speed focus once we kind of honed in on that it became more of like uh ball ball flight specific along with bat speed stuff to make sure that you know obviously we're swinging the bat hard but then also we're making sure that we're hitting the right specific part of the baseball making sure we're efficient in our movements and uh, that cleaned up some things mechanically for me that's also um went hand in hand with my bat speed because i'm moving more efficiently i think bat speeds come along and then also having a, uh, having a focus for, um, you know, optimal launch angles, I guess is, is, you know, one way to put it. So that's kind of been my focus prior. It was mainly just bat speed. And then, um, how I got there was 2020 season got canceled, came back from spring training. Uh, my buddy, John, that, you know, um, you know, he was working, shut down, he brought a KVS and a laptop down to Southern California and me and him were kind of, and another buddy, Angelo, who was with at the time the Rays. um, every day we kind of just went in the cage and threw that thing on and, and try to get better, um, you know, and 
it was kind of like uh, early on in the process of him as a as a hitting trainer and me as a as a, a hitter, you know, really. And so um, we were kind of diving into this together. It was a great, you know, relationship. We had a friendship, obviously, before, but he kind of um, used that, and we both used it to, to to get to where we are now. But it was pretty cool. It was, it was you know, during the midst of COVID, we weren't really doing much else, just kind of hopping fences, finding wherever we could, and, and just kind of getting to work, um, you know, every day we could. And, and I don't honestly, think I, I don't think I knew all that. I, I know John Sutteropoulos through through drive line, but uh, yeah. you guys knew each other before you started training, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, we 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 had a relationship, and my buddy Ange that we that we hit with as well, who's who was with the Rays at the time. Um, they went to high school with each other, so they were buddies. Uh-huh. And so John would come down my freshman year, sophomore year, all all three years at, at USC, and he would hit with us. And um, he always had such a he was always so I guess like receptive to to hitting knowledge and hitting tips and everything. And so I was always, you know, willing to learn from him too, because he knew so much more than I did at that time. At least he thought he knew more. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've always kind of trusted him as a hitting guy. And then once he kind of got into this and we had real data behind, you know, what we were working on, um, it kind of took off from there. Well, that's really interesting. You, you kind of, because you start off with the, the K vest and I, you know, I tried the K vest and my story about the K vest is, um, you know, it, it's cool to uh, use different cues and then like see the results, right? Like right. I tried like, um, so they told me that I had uh, near pro hand speed. Uh, there you that go. Was, that was going for me. They also said I had a minus minus pelvis. Okay. okay. So, uh, so I tried the cue where I'm like, I'm just going to try and just rip my midsection through. Yeah, my yeah. pelvis. Just going to try and rip the, my pelvis through. That'll be my cue. And that that was when everything lit up green, you know, on the K vest. Everything looked good. I missed the ball. <laughs> the ball was on a tee. I missed the ball. Right. So I, sometimes I worry with the K vest is you're sort of training to uh, 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 training to the tech, and you're right. like you're just trying to do you're just trying to make the lights light up green, and right. you forget about hitting. Right. Um, so, so tell me about the sort of advancement in the actual things you were doing. So you went from K vest to some, some weighted bat training and, and how did you, what was the last piece of the puzzle when you added in the sort of launch angle and stuff? What was, what were you doing to kind of work on that aspect? It, it, it was a lot of that. It was, I went into the, uh, what do they call that? Like the biomech lab, basically whatever. Mm, yeah. The mocap. Yeah. Mocap. Right. So they, I got all stickered up and my bat speed was good but they were like, your sequencing is terrible. So let's work on that. So I was like, Oh, okay. Like, sweet. That's awesome. You know? So, and those uh, are different cues. You just work on different cues and see how it, right. how it does. It was, it was similar. Like my, my, my pelvis wasn't firing correctly. And so then the next few days, that's what we worked on. And then my bat speed ticked up along with, um, like, you know, exit dealers and launchers, whatever, like my body was just able to move and I was able to be more consistent in my swing because I had a cue to work on to help myself move more efficiently. And so, um, again, me and you are very similar hitters in, in, in that sense, but <laughs> yeah, it, I'm just but, about uh, to, just about to play with the cards. I think. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. And, and, and that's also another thing you brought up a great point is that not just hitting to the tech, understanding yourself as a hitter, what you need, not everybody needs exactly what I need. Um, mm. And so, um, you know, that's kind of the main thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, every, everybody's specifics and what they need is different. But um, 
you know, like I said, understanding that not just hitting to the tech, but using the tech to help you develop. Is there also a sort of after a while limiting returns on the weighted bats? Do they like help you get to like 75 or wherever you're trying to get? And then it's harder to add more. Was there, have you sort of hit sort of a, a bat speed where you're not improving? I know an improvement is sort of one of these things where it goes up for a while then it plateaus and then maybe it goes up again. Where, where are you? Like, I think you were trying to hit 74s uh, yeah. with the bat speed when I was up there. And yeah. where are you I'll, now? I'll, yeah, now I'm a little bit higher than that. Um, I was a little bit higher at the beginning of the offseason than that. And then, like I said, when I when I kind of made that mechanical adjustment, it, it ticked up a little bit too. So, um, you know, you kind of think of it as a bell curve, right? You know, when you start like I did at, at one side of the bell curve, there's only one way to go, and it's up. And, <laughs> yeah. and the, gains, the gains are are much quicker. So now it's kind of, you know, trying to get a little bit better every single day. Um, in terms of bat speed, you know, there's obviously I, I need to be a much better hitter completely. But in terms of the bat speed training, that's kind of what we're focused on. And so um, the gains do you do are less all... of it now. Uh, yes, I do less of the bat speed specifics, but I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. I do. And then um, but make making like monitoring it, and making sure that I'm not dipping right where um, I need to be at a certain threshold or else. Um, right. John, John or Andrew is not even going to let me swing. So, you know, uh, I, I heard some interesting stuff too, about this idea that, um, you know, when you do the mocap, you know, they'll talk to you about your hip shoulder separation and that's really important for hitting. It's people talk about the rubber band. You're trying to sort of stretch the rubber band so that you can have more bat speed, have more trunk speed, right? That's, that's right. the ideas, even for pitching, it's just sort of separate the, the shoulder and the hip. You know, and, and the bringing back together is where you get that speed from. Yeah, I've. What helped me was that my dad. He trains. He trains pitchers, and he's worked with Tom House for a long time. And so, um, that's you know, another I, thing I didn't know about you. That's cool. Yeah, there's the. It's like he's told me about that on the throwing side for so long. And I played, you know, obviously baseball growing up. Also played football. So, uh, what's cool with that is that you know. Brady and Breeze and you know obviously now Dak and he's they've got so many the quarterbacks that I was able to do those drills and so being able to for me understand that from the throwing side and then make that adjustment on the hitting side is kind of you know where where for me I think it's been I've been I've benefited from my dad having that background and understanding that stuff too yeah but there's this fundamental difference in hitting which is when you're pitching let's say I could I could have the most hip shoulder separation possible ever you know right i can snap that together and release the ball because i decide when i want to release the ball but theoretically a hitter could have the most separation ever and then just couldn't couldn't get it there on time versus wide receivers you know what i mean yeah you gotta like the bat has to get there on time like it's it's not oh i'll release the ball when i want to it's like no the bat has to be there on time have you seen any ramifications for your contact ability? Have you uh, do you have to start um, earlier because of your 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 swing is yeah, that I do. bigger or you know Yeah, and and that's a good point and and I did at the beginning of 2022 and um that was kind of where I was like man, you know, going through this I was like uh you know, maybe I was you know, barking up the wrong tree kind of, you know, I didn't really know what was going on, but I started loading earlier which helped me. And I think it, it just helped me sequence myself better, but also see the pitch longer and, and be in a position where my head wasn't moving so much. I wasn't rushing. I was just kind of in a, 
and a better, more controlled space. And so, um, whether that's the bats, the mechanical adjustment, or that's just helping me as a hitter load earlier, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I, I don't really know exactly, but, um, for me, that was an adjustment that I did make. So cool. I, I saw you, uh, you know, you, I think that your favorite, uh, I mean, if you're talking about sort of ideal launch angle and stuff, your favorite hit is, you know, like 110, uh, to the pull side in the air, right? Something like yeah, that. Be, yeah. If I could do that all the time, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So I think to some extent, you know, you're going to like some of the shift rules cause you're going to be, you're going to be hitting onto that side a little bit. But you are in the unique place, not unique, but you're in this place where uh, younger players are, where they've seen some of these rule changes, you know, uh, younger players have come up through the minor leagues, have seen uh, the the bigger bags. I, I don't know. What have you seen? You've seen bigger bags. You've seen, seen bigger bags, done the uh, the pickoffs over the first or I guess all the bases. Yeah. Uh, pitch clock, hitters clock. Uh, Did you ever see automatic balls and strikes? No. Or yeah. I did. Excuse me. I did at one uh, one place spring training complex in um, in the Arizona Fall League. So it's just like a game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so you've got these other things coming, uh, and and I just wondered. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me is that people don't really talk about this: is that the hitters have to get in the box. They have about eight seconds. Um, did you, were you surprised that you had to be like, Oh shit, I got to get in. Or were you fine? Did you see a lot of other hitters be like, uh, uh, they weren't, they weren't fast enough to get in the box. And yeah, um, it, it was pretty, it was pretty bizarre seeing, seeing it guys are just like, there's just, there's walking straight up to the dish. Um, stepping out is kind of like, you're like, you know, you have like anxiety stepping out of the box in between pitches as you're like, Oh shoot, I got to be back in here. Uh-huh. And I saw some guys get rang up hand innings because they weren't set, you know, quick enough. And so um, it's going to be an adjustment for sure, um, especially at the big league level. You know, guys have their routine. They've done it for so long. You know, it's it's more of, you know, something that guys that have been up there for 10 years have kind of, you know, grown to be a part of their routine or their pre-bat routine or whatever it is if they take their time. And so um, I'm interested to see how it'll be. Being a younger guy and having some of the experience with it, I think it'll be easier for me to just adjust to it because, you know, it is what it is. But um, for Did some you, guys, you know, there's, it, you know, they, they, they enjoy it and there's a little bit of an art to it, too, for, for them to do it. So, I mean, uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. I took my kids to San Jose and they they pretty much liked it. How did you? I, I like the pace. You, it's more baseball and less standing around. Did you did you have an opinion about? What yeah, like? I mean, I mean, I I I didn't I didn't mind it, but I didn't I didn't like it as well. I, I really don't have an opinion on it. I, I I get it. Like it speeds up the game and does all that. The only thing for me is like as a hitter, the mind game between a pitcher and a hitter where there's like sequencing, right? Like it during a certain at-bat, okay, he did this, he did this. I think he's going to do that. So it takes a little bit of that away from it where you don't have as much time to process it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the game will be faster for sure. Um, but it might be a little different. But it, but it may be a little different, you know, and, and who knows? And I'm sure, you know, the league will do something to adjust or whatever, you know, if, if something happens. But um i understand it you know i i i get why they're trying to do it um we'll see I, you know i'm not i'm not going to say yes or no to that it's it's just you know i'm i'm curious to see how it's going to be because um easier to make an adjustment in the minor leagues than the big leagues i think you know as as league wide 
And then when you were on first um, uh, with the stealing rules, like you're kind of interesting in an interesting spot where you're like, um, you're not like a, like a, a tur Turner burner, like a Trey Turner, but like uh, you've got speed. You could, did you feel uh, like you wanted to take off more? I mean, I, I think you had like two stolen bases in the minors. Yeah. It was like, it, it, it's, it's so weird. Like it's, you're meant, you're like thinking about it differently too, because um, the bigger bases is nice because you're like sliding. It. If you go toe in, it's great because it gives you that extra couple inches or whatever. But uh -huh. like mentality wise, I wasn't down there long enough to really understand, but like some guys were like abusing it in the fall league. Like I saw like taking, getting picked up, picked on, and then they're taking this huge lead, leaning back to the pitcher or whatever, you know, it was just like a cat and mouse game over. So, um, which is is nice. Like it, it, it'll be bring back an art of the game that I don't I don't think has has been there for a while. Uh, I think the Cardinals specifically do a good job of that, and we've had base stealers, you know, over the past few years that I've or past couple of years that I've been up. And so, uh, but yeah, I think some of that value will, will get brought back up. Um, and like yeah, you're, you said, you're, you're kind of all in that. Yeah, with the shift, you think it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, <good> for you. <laughs> I'm all in for the shift. I'm actually, yeah, I'm all in for the shift. I've made some, like, again, hitting-wise, like, I, I've made some adjustments to not necessarily have to rely on the shift. So I was like, okay, of course, now, you know, they're doing it. But uh -huh. uh, I, I think all in all, it'll, ben it'll benefit me. So I, I can complain. Yeah, you're, the, the outfield there is pretty interesting because you guys all have a little bit of speed. Um, you not, None of you would maybe be, like, 30, 30 base stealers in a normal year. But I could see all of you stealing a little bit more than usual. Yeah, yeah, for know? sure um all right so just that's pretty interesting to to get an idea of where you're you're at with the new rules and the new season the new season coming up uh i just uh i wanted to do you think um do you think you would have fallen into some of this uh new type of training without knowing john um you think that that was just almost like a happy occurrence like how yeah like is there another you that like another universe that you didn't do any of this yeah potentially there, there, there potentially is um i think i think i was always curious enough to try and find a new way of training um again when i started it was 2020 it was pretty pretty dang early for for, for them even with hitters and stuff um yeah. the whole weighted bats thing and so um you know i i don't know if i don't do it but I'm definitely glad because I, I definitely got a kickstart out of it. And it's what's funny is that I wasn't invited to the alternate site, but uh, which obviously was a bummer for me. Season mm -hmm. was, but I really do think that, you know, you got to kind of make do of what you got. And, and that's and part that of why you, you ended up a dry line the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, John kind of just like spent all 2020, just like in empty cages, kind of hiding out from everybody and, and, and kind of doing that. And so, um you know it's it's funny uh we do things a little bit differently today than we did back then i think we have more information and more knowledge but mm. um it's pretty yeah but uh what's it like when you talk to other hitters about what they're doing like are are you do you have a sense of like oh yeah there's a, a couple guys in our org a couple guys i know who like do the same kind of trainings i do or there's nobody or like how does that how does that does that does it come up like you guys got to talk about like what you're what you've been doing or what you do yeah 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 for sure and and now like guys are starting to trickle in and and um you know a lot of guys are, are, are using tech or video or, or whatever and then you know guys know their swing so well that 
you know, a lot of them have a good idea. I, I like to listen to everybody, but you know, like Nolan, for example, Nolan, Nolan went to driveline too. <laughs> right. So, um, I like talking to him, you know, he's always sending me, me video and stuff too. So it's pretty cool. Um, and so just more and more every year, right? I would say so. And, and, um, but, but I mean, I talk to Nolan on a daily basis, you know, so it's like whether it's hitting or, or whatever, um, but having him, you know, we, 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 we talk and, and work on a lot of stuff together. And so, um, with him, it's nice. Um, but then, but then, you know, there's guys that, that don't do it, don't need it. And, you know, they're, they're awesome. And, and you know, mm. like Nolan's a cage rat swings a thousand times. Goldie doesn't necessarily do, you know, like, but, swing as, you know, but one thing the Cardinals were really good at last year was pulling fly balls. They were like, I think, you know, top two or something in the league and pulling fly balls. So like, yeah. you know, Jeff Albert had Goldie. something to do with it. And there was a, there was a bit of a hitting philosophy in general. It wasn't, you know, wasn't just a couple guys, I think. Yeah. I think too, I think too, um, our ballpark, man, it's tough. It's tough to go, you know, like oppo. tough to go oppo, off a big fly oppo, you know, you got to have some juice to do that. And so, uh, I think guys kind of, intuitively like understood that we're like okay like you know this is kind of what's going to help best for me be successful and so um, the ball has yeah. changed a little bit too right so the ball. ball doesn't fly as much oppo right and so um like i said like it's teach their own if you're playing at a different part different guy whatever it is everything's going to change but uh but yeah i mean whatever's going to help you get to where you need to be you know that's kind of that's kind of the way i look at it well, I'm really excited to see what you do this year. Uh, I know John's rooting for you, even though he's not allowed to to say it publicly anymore. <laughs> he's working for a different org. We're gonna miss that guy, man. But uh, do you have any personal goals for the year? Did you, no. do you work like that? Just just have a good season. Yeah, I mean it's it's day to day for me. You know, with John, it was it was just chasing barrels. That's that's what we did. You know, uh, hopefully, uh, bad of all luck wasn't with me last year, so I'm not gonna. You know what I mean? So you want that twelve percent barrel rate. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, chasing the, the controllables so uh you know hopefully have a good year stay healthy and then you know what's your what's your max ev right now uh i don't know i you know I, I don't know i mean it's it's training so different than than in the game in the game yeah. i think 113 113 something so uh-huh. i got i gotta get i found found a couple that were harder than that too so i gotta i gotta make those fair um, all right there you go but we yeah, got it. All right, go. so we got it. We got it. We got a twelve percent barrel rate, one hundred and fifteen max EV. There you go. There Fifteen you go. steals. <laughs> exactly. Twenty five homers. That's exactly. what we're talking about. That's going to yeah. be the year, man. All right. <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, good to see you again. Good to see you. Are you struggling to close deals? B two B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. 
Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rate23 and get started. Well, great stuff, Eno. Really, really enjoyed that. I'm sure uh, everybody uh, enjoyed that interview with Lars. And uh, also, very cool that, you know, you before the interview, you referred to your minus minus pelvis. <laughs> but yeah, you came away with some, some pluses too. Yeah, yeah. I, the, the, my plus hand speed, but didn't hit the ball. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, everything has to be done in the context of baseball. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think that's what the growth has been a little bit like early on. Uh, especially in in you know with when there was no baseball and um, there was no live pitchers to face during the pandemic, I think he was right to be like, hey, let me do the lifting portion, let me do the the weighted bats and just get my bat speed faster because I'm not gonna be working on picking up a slider out of a low lefty release slot right now because I don't have any lefties to pitch to me. There's like I'm not even allowed you know to to go anywhere you know. Um, so I think that as he said, being left off of the alternate site roster in a way was a blessing for him, uh, and allowed him to really jump into, uh, these advanced, uh, statistics and data and tech in order to get the most out of his, out of his, at his work. It's also interesting to hear him say a bit of more of a focus on pulled fly balls in this year's session. That's a, a very sort of, uh, specific baseball skill. Now you're talking about, Hey, my bat speed is really good. Uh, but, uh, I want to just hit it on a line to the pull side and that I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not hitting many, many grounders. And so that's a little bit more of a tweak rather than like the, the lifting portion. I need to get bat speed. I've got the bat speed. What do I do now? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's correlated, uh, hitters who pull flies, uh, generally produce more power. So that's, I think it's one of those overlooked things. And so I was really glad that that was something that, that you touched upon in the interview. And so I wasn't sure that I necessarily wanted to expand on that in this discussion. But then when I looked at some leaderboards, you know, I saw some really interesting names come up in terms of players last season who uh, pulled flies at a really high rate. And also that in, in combination with their, their barrel rate. Now where the sort of departs from, from the new bar story is that, he had last year the high pull rate on fly balls with a, a really good barrel rate. So I, for me, that gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to come back this year and, and be a reliable power producer. Uh, but it was sort of interesting to look at some of the players. I mean, St. Louis that, is is number one in this. And that's, I think, Jeff Albert, who just went to the Mets uh, to do this. And uh, let me see if I can do this by team. Um, let me see how the pulled fly balls by team. Let me see how the Mets did last year. St. Louis, number one, New York Mets, number 27. <laughs> so and rising maybe. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, so what does that, <laughs> what does that mean for, uh, for players on the, on the, the Mets? I mean, uh, let's see if we can, we can spot anybody that really could benefit from it. Well- yeah, while you're scanning that that leaderboard, uh, just something that occurs to me is that, and I don't know if this was an organizational thought, if the you know this related at all to what happened last year with the Cardinals leading the majors in that stat, but I think kind of similar park factors for the Mets and the Cardinals. And ah, that's, that's right. And people say you maybe. can't have a power team in St. Louis. Well, <laughs> let me show you <laughs> like last again, year's yeah. Cardinals. You know, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Jeff McNeil, but he's kind of a spray hitter. Starling Marte has a surprisingly low uh, pull rate. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, Nupar had a 35% uh, pull fly ball rate, um, and uh, the Cardinals uh, led the league, uh, you know, near 30%. Uh, Je- you know, Starling Marte is at 14%. So that's really low. Yeah, that's surprising. Um, but then Brandon Nimmo at 19 percent. Uh, these are guys uh, Nimmo and McNeil are guys who let the ball travel, spray the ball around. But Nimmo has a little bit more power than McNeil. So if Nimmo uh, can actually unlock some of that power, that'd be amazing. Lindor's power has gone down and he's at 24 uh, percent. So those are, I think, the three names that, that, that kind of stick out for me. Uh, Mark Canna, those you know, Canna, Nimmo and Lindor. Uh, could really benefit, I think, from um, from the teachings of Jeff Albert as he goes over there. Oh, that that is interesting because yeah, I hadn't really thought about the number of hitters in that lineup that are more spray hitters, uh, and that's obviously gonna gonna limit power. Uh, and just to give people some context, so you mentioned like fourteen percent. That's really low. I think the norm is somewhere right around twenty percent. Anything that's up around thirty percent and certainly above thirty percent. I mean, that's a fairly extreme pull hitter on fly balls. And while that's generally a, a very good thing, uh, if you just go to a site like Fangraphs and you look at overall pull rate, you do have to separate out the ground ball from the fly ball pull rate because somebody with a really high pull rate, that might be grounders disproportionately on grounders. And that's a lot of ground ball outs. Yeah. Uh, the league so, average is 25%, um, 24.5%. Oh, okay. And uh, the best way to do this, I think, I mean, other than a savant search, um, is you go to the splits leaderboard at Fangraphs. It's yep. if you're at the leaders, um, you go down. There's a splits leaderboard that's by itself. You high uh, you highlight uh, fly balls under batted balls um, and in splits. And once you do that, you look at uh, pull rates. Uh, so and click team because the default I think is individual individual players. Right. If, if you, you want to look at your team the... aspect, you do that. If you uh, if you want to look at, you can put it, you can set a limit so you see uh, more regular players. Uh, but the highest pulled fly ball rate in baseball last year was Matt Carpenter, which makes sense because all he's trying to do, the only thing he's trying to do, the very only thing he's trying to do is pull fly <laughs> balls. He had fifty one percent of his fly balls were pulled um but uh, i think you had uh, some other interesting names in a, in a sort of sleeper list that i thought i liked the, most of those names yeah and carpenter didn't come up for me i set my minimum at 75 fly balls mm-hmm. so i'm not sure yeah, that's uh, part of it, yeah. I, with carpenter couldn't have been too far below that but uh, so with the the minimum set at 75 it was albert pujols at the top and i think by by a pretty good margin and it was, yeah, five of the top 16 in those rankings were Cardinals. And 200 some odd, I want to say like about 260, maybe 240 hitters that reached that threshold of 75 fly balls. So the top 16, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, less than the top 10%. Um, and within that, that top 16, five Cardinals. So led by Pujols and the Nolan Arenado. And then uh, below him, Lars Nupar, uh, oh, I think Juan Yepes, and then um, uh, Corey Dickerson. And he's kind of an interesting outlier among those those five Cardinals. Uh, so Nupar, with, as you mentioned before, 35.3% uh, pull rate on fly balls. Uh, Arenado, not, not too far behind that, but 
some people might be surprised to hear that Arenado's barrel rate was barely more than half of what Newpar's was yes. last year. And this is or, I'm sorry, two years ago. This is exactly this is exactly how players overperform their barrel rate. People that underperform their barrel rate, some I've I've written that Tommy Pham is a sleeper every year. And I love Tommy Pham, but Tommy Pham is a spray hitter who hits the ball hard. Opposite field homers are were down two twice as much as as pull side homers with the new ball. So he himself is just you know just thinking about whether or not he wants to pull the ball. He might be uh, have a great marriage with Jeff Albert in, because he's right now thinking how do I pull the ball in the air? And Jeff Albert is a guy who preaches that. So you know that's going to be uh, an interesting thing to watch too. Um, but it, you know he's always a guy who underperformed his barrel rates because he he, mm-hmm. he would hit it to the opposite field. You just know when you hit it to the opposite field, not only um, are you hitting it further, uh, but you're also um, giving imparting more slice on the ball. And that slice is going to take energy away from the direction you want it to go. Anybody who golfs knows that if you slice it, you're not likely to hit it as far because it's going somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's 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 energy <laughs> deflected from you want to go straight. You know, um, and it's it's really rare that you hit just you know. Chaz McCormick does hit sort of these really crazy straight opposite field line ball uh, liners screamers, and he's he manages to hit like 15 homers. He's the the lowest pull fly ball rate in the majors with three percent. He's an outlier. Um, and there is a discussion to be had that part of pulling fly balls is going and getting the ball out front, which means yeah. starting your swing earlier, which means more strikeouts. And Chaz McCormick is already at 27% strikeouts. Maybe he can't He maybe can't start earlier to get more homers and have a 33% strikeout rate. You know, maybe that just doesn't work for, for his, his package. But if you are looking for people who are going to overperform their barrel rate, look at this pull fly ball leader. You know, you say Arenado, well, his barrel rate's not that great, but his homers are great. Well, look at somebody that the, the stakes are a little bit lower, but maybe he's you're in a two-catcher league, Jonah Heim. Jonah Heim is on this, and I just stole that from you. Thank you for, <laughs> I'm, I'm previewing the next list we're going to. But Jonah Heim had a 6.9% barrel rate. That's not nice. That's that's not great. And what you what you normally expect from a 6.9% barrel rate is, you know, like a 150 ISO or something. He got 16 homers, 172 ISO, because he pulls everything that he hits in the air. And uh, that's something you'll see when you look up and down this next leaderboard you've got. Um, are people who are overperforming their barrel rates, and this is why. All right, yeah, good preview to that, and we will come back to that in just a moment. I just want to provide a little additional context because yeah, I'd made the comment that Arenado's barrel rate was about half of Newt Bars. So that was true in 2021, 6.7%, uh, comparing to Newt Bars in 2022. But if we do apples to apples, 2022, it was a little better than half uh, of Newt Bars, 8.2%. But that's uh, you know that's still a pretty mid-range for a 30 barrel rate. Hitter, some- yeah. Not yeah, certainly not what you would expect uh, in terms of that. But to me, there's an interesting comparison to be had with Juan Yepes because uh, his barrel rate's a little bit higher, or it was a little bit higher than that last year in his rookie season. And you know, obviously, there are more playing kind playing time concerns for Yepes than there would be for Arenado. Different position, of course. But uh, in NFBC drafts so far, Yepes is outside the top 300, and given the power potential that maybe he didn't completely make good on last year, but that he's shown in the minor leagues and given the bad ball profile last year, a lot of pulled flies, pretty decent amount of raw power. Uh, is he somebody that 
maybe we should be targeting a little higher or, or, you know, or waiting on as a, as a sleeper. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just on radio in St. Louis and, uh, you know, and, and talking to, to people uh, who know the depth chart a little better than I do. I had assumed that there'd be a loser between Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, um, and Juan Yepes if Jordan Walker makes the team. Uh, but there's a sort of growing sense that they can all make the team. Um, that uh, with the DH uh, as it is, with certain handedness, with uh, somebody having to cover center, that it'd be okay to have four outfielders and uh, and Juan Yepes, um, you know, to have basically five guys that handle the outfield in DH. Um, especially with you know, Juan Yepes, you know, being able to play first uh, if, if Goldie needs to DH or, or take a day off. So uh, that does seem to be the kind of modern uh, roster making where you, you have that flexibility at every position. Um, and uh, it does give you a chance to kind of uh, give Jordan Walker this chance and see if you can, you're catching lightning in a bottle and a superstar, uh, you know, right away out of the gate. So um that's that's I think what's keeping Yepes down is this idea that Walker's going to make their team and that means there has to be a loser between Juan Yepes and Dylan Carlson or Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill and Juan Yepes that there's somewhere in there there's a loser. Well that's yeah that's some interesting insight into the the depth chart and uh I think that makes him a good a good late round flyer. Mm-hmm. Uh you can just monitor that as as we go along in spring training here, but if he does come away with something close to an everyday job, I think he could be a, a real steal in drafts. Uh but let's get back to that uh leaderboard that you were referencing a little while ago. Jonah Heim is on it, but these are hitters, just a handful of hitters who have pretty extremely or had pretty extremely high uh pull rates on fly balls in 2022, 34% or higher. Uh, but with the barrel rate below 8%. So maybe just a hair below that that Arenado level. And of course, the lower the barrel rate, then the less good they can can make on uh, the, the pull rate. And actually, let me start at the bottom. Uh, we'll start <laughs> at the top of, because he's the patron saint. All right. He's the all patron right, saint. I, I was going to make a make a point. Uh, you know, Corey Dickerson was a name that I mentioned before. Oh, okay, you can start, very, very low barrel, start at the bottom. Low barrel rate. It'll be a big uh, reveal of the patron of... saint of pulled fly balls. See, all right. Your little well, trivia get... for you listeners. See, see if you know who's number one on this list. <laughs> all right. Well, interesting name. Um, well, actually, I don't have the list in front of me, so I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, Ha-Seong Kim. See the right, right. Corey Dickerson sorry. at the bottom. Wilmer Flores. Jonah Heim. Uh, Isak Paredes, who's on all my sleeper lists, and I love him, especially in draft and holds, because he's got first, second, and third eligibility. I think he's going to take third base there, because I think Yandy Diaz is... People have asked me if I'm down on Yandy Diaz. I'm not down on Yandy Diaz, uh, except that I think that his glove is falling apart a little bit. I think he signed a first baseman's type deal, and so I Mm -hmm. think he's going to be the first baseman, and uh, they're leaving third base open for Paredes, Aranda, you know, whoever. We're going to see who... Aranda doesn't necessarily have the glove, so we're going to see who who steps forward. I think it's Paredes. And then... The patron saint of the pulled fly ball. The guy who's always overperformed his barrel rates. The guy who doesn't look like a (laughs) slugger. The guy who looks like Eric Young, but hits 30 homers a year and going to win a MVP someday. Jose Ramirez. Right. So I got a little thrown off when you were saying patron saint because I think, oh, wait, was he? Because I didn't do these in order. I put him at the top because he's the most interesting player uh, okay. on this list. Uh, so, and in fact, he's not number one because uh, Pujols was number one. Right. The sort that I did. But he's the patron but saint he's because like he's the said, guy who makes the most of it. Like, he's the guy that has pulled big, yeah. pulling fly balls forever. That's his whole approach. 
And yep. uh, and he's why, you know, why Newt Bar makes so much sense and why the Guardians were somebody I came up with because it's like the Guardians and Jose Ramirez, they have a guy who makes a lot of contact, has good eye at the plate, doesn't have much power, you know, add some bad ball, add some bat speed to it and some pull fly balls and bam, you have Jose Ramirez. Like everybody should be trying to follow that model. <laughs> But let, let's not bury the lead here, you know, because, yeah, he he's the patron saint of the pulled fly uh, or, you know, certainly up there, uh, you know, one of the elite uh, from year to year in that regard. But we're talking about him now because he had a barrel rate in 2022 that was below 8%. It was 6.6%. And the previous couple of seasons, he was up in double digits. Uh, and his average exit velocity on flies and liners was really quite low 91.2 miles an hour i mean when you start to see numbers dip into the 91s 90s and obviously down into the 80s there's a little bit of concern there so uh given that ramirez is somebody who's typically going first second third in overall in drafts this year is that is that a red flag I don't know. I, th- I think he's, you know, always going to perform outperform his barrel rates. You know, even when uh, he had the better barrel rates, uh, like like for example, in twenty twenty one, he had eleven percent barrel rate. Um, you know, other guys with eleven percent barrel rates uh, don't hit thirty six homers, right? right. So, uh, you know, yes, he went down to six point six. I think you'd project him for something like a seven percent barrel rate, right? Because he's had these better years and he had mm-hmm. a down year. That's how regression works, how projections work. They look at the last two years, they look at the last year. So I think he'd probably project him for a seven percent barrel rate. Well, he had a seven percent barrel rate in twenty eighteen, he had thirty nine homers. You know, so like yeah. he had a six point six last year, he had twenty nine homers. So I think he's pretty safe. What if he hits twenty eight, you're not gonna say, Oh, I made a terrible pick. <laughs> you know? Right. And then then you've got all these uh the fact that he's a lefty that pulls a lot. Uh, I mean, he's not a lefty, he's a you know, switch hitter, but he's going to hit lefty and pull a lot, um, and he does have speed. So there's all these rules that are coming together that should affect him in a positive way. He hasn't had a batting average on balls in play over 300 since 2018 because he's trying to pull fly balls. He, if he has a batting average on balls in play over 300, we could have him, you know, have a season where he hits 285 with, with sorry, 28 homers and, and like 25 steals, you know, like, so I, I think, uh, uh, this will be a good year for him. And I think this is, uh, something that he gives us that we should listen to, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to know always what to listen to, you know, you listen to this and we're, we, we come up with new stuff and uh, you know, I've seen people be like stuff plus whatever, you know? Um, and I understand like there's, there's, there's a, there is some sort of relationship between, um, uh, open-mindedness and cynicism when you come to these things. Maybe it works for Jose Ramirez, but maybe it does not work for everybody else. Yes, that's probably true. The Guardians have not produced another Jose Ramirez, and they've been trying to. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, open-mindedness has served me well in 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 like sort of reading research, um, and I've and I think it's served you well. I, I was really fascinated by some of the stuff you were looking into the atmospheric. Uh, you know, differences uh, from game to game and how that played out. Um, how do you feel about the sort of interaction between open-mindedness and cynicism when it comes to new research and new techniques and new ways, even in fantasy, of new ways of finding breakouts? 
Uh, well, I, I'm well prepared to answer this question because I actually had a conversation with with my wife. Uh, <laughs> I think it was yesterday, and I was talking about some player or other that I liked as a breakout. I don't even remember who it was. You know, but, but, you know, she said, "Yeah, but but what did that person do in the off season?" I'm like, "Well, I I don't know," and that's always her response to when I when we have these conversations. And and, and so you know, I said, you know, even if I did know, I I would probably disregard it because you know I don't. I don't know what it means. I don't know enough to, mm. <laughs> you know, to distinguish between player A that went to drive line and player B that went to drive line, and you know maybe did different things or did the same things differently, <laughs> right. uh, you know, or are different bodies that you know it takes exactly. differently, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind kind of let that stuff wash over me, and I, you know, it's it's become sort of a, a meme and a joke, right? You know, best shape of my life. Yes, uh, is going to driveline the new best shape of my life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I probably I, I guess this is just a way of saying that I, I err much more on the on the side of cynicism, understanding that than I wind up missing out on on breakouts that other people are mm-hmm. able to identify. Um, yeah. but I just, I, I know what I know and, and I, I like to think I know what I don't know and, and try to stay within, you know, stay, stay in my lane, so to speak. Well, one of the things that's I think most difficult is, uh, when you have an impart, like a, in, not a, an impartial, uh, delivery. So like, uh, a, a partial delivery, like a biased delivery, which is, uh, by driveline is going to tell us the good stuff and not the bad stuff, but also just an incomplete data set. So when you, we don't know everybody we're, we're never going to know everybody went to driveline because they 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 sign ndas with teams and like we you know we're just never going to know like that not every player wants us to know we went to driveline so you know we're never going to know the entire thing it's almost like these minor league batted ball stats where we're like ooh, like this player did this or this player did this like well we don't know the full context because only teams have the entire minor league batted ball set we are the ones that just have these little drips of oh this guy hit at 111 oh we're so excited um but the thing <laughs> is there are small sample things that can make a difference so the things i listen to um and and that might be interesting for anybody who's on twitter all the time and seeing these videos and hearing oh he did this or did this i'm interested when they say they added a new pitch i i -hmm. always find that interesting and if you can then back that up with oh he actually threw it 10 times in his spring training start that means he believes in it Right. So now you've got a pitch he said he added in the offseason, and now you say he's believing it. In the age of data, that pitch is likely to be high stuff because all of these development labs are working with stuff plus numbers. Right. So they're saying, mm-hmm. let's build a sweeper. This is what a sweeper looks like. These movement profiles. All right. Did you do it? No. Try again this way. Try again. That's it. Do that. Do that. Do that. Do that. Now you come to camp, you have a sweeper. So Mitch Keller is an example. I think Mitch Keller is a great example because he he didn't become an ace, you know. He had a four ERA, you know. He was a, a decent pitcher. But last year we heard from Tread that he added velo, he added a sinker, and he added a sweeper. He did all three of those things in the major leagues last year. He was the the second biggest improver in stuff plus year over year behind Kyle Wright. And uh, I think that was a breakout. You know, I think there might be another level uh, as he gets used to all those things. But those are things you can listen for. So you, did he add velo? Uh, you know, this offseason, wait for a number, you know, like and not just would he hit because if he right. hit a number, he's going to sit too below that. So, uh, you know, you want to you want to hear some numbers about that. You want to hear, uh, you know, if he added a pitch. 
Um, and I and I'm I know it's early going, but I think if someone says they added bat speed, it's like they added velo in the offseason. You don't have to necessarily jump that guy five rounds. Don't jump Gavin Lux five rounds because he added six miles an hour bat speed because that's in a training environment. Uh, I guess you want to be skeptical about those numbers. I think if he doesn't add that bat speed, which is tracked now by BAM, then people are going to look badly at driveline. So I think they're reporting an actual number, but uh, how that plays out in the in the play concept, can he actually you know get to that bat speed when he's trying to face a 98 mile an hour fastball? That's that's still a question. But am I more interested now than Gavin Lux than before? <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah, because he had great skills other than the bat speed. We have Lars Nupar as an example, right? Of a guy who had great plate skills, could contact, you know, good plate discipline and had a bat speed and took off. And I've seen Gavin Lux's biceps and I've heard the six mile or bat speed. I I think it'd be foolish not to like, you know, incorporate that somehow. Am I going to make him my fifth, second baseman in my rankings? No. But am I going to push him up against like... Let me see real quick before we get out of here. But an auction calculator, uh, you know, projection system. I'm just going to use Steamer, second base. Gavin Lux shows up 29th in a 12-teamer. Like, not draftable, says the auction calculator. I'm sorry, man. Like, uh, John Zagura in here is a $1 player. And... I'm fine with that, but he's going to Miami. Is he going to hit seven homers and steal 12 bags and hit you 275 this year in a 12-team league? I think I'd rather take Gavin Lux and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a particularly good example because, yes, a girl might get overrated because of having played in Philadelphia for a few years. And again, you know, take taking a look at the, the barrel rate and how that plays in different parks. And yeah, it's going to play less robustly uh, in, in Miami and just, to, you know, at most positions, definitely at second base, there's so much inter- interchangeability yeah. when you get close to the fantasy replacement level. Why not? Right. Why, if you've got a piece of information on a player like Lux, why why not make him your your late round uh, sleeper, your late round flyer? Like he's behind um, Jonathan Scope. He's behind Colton Wong, who's going to a park that has murdered hitters in the past, you know? Yes, you know, so I think, uh, you know, you can move them up against uh, certain guys. And uh, and especially when you start talking about like bench dynamics about like, okay, well, I've got my whole starting lineup. I'm looking for a sleeper. My weakest position is MI. Gavin Lux is out there. You know, I can drop him if it doesn't turn out right. So that's the kind of uh, impetus I use this on. I use it a little bit more for sleepers than you know, top of the line guys, the top of the line guys have given us results that we can see year to year that we can project. They're really projectable. They have high floors. I'm not moving them around a lot based on where they yeah. went to work out, you know? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I think yeah, ex- excellent advice. Uh, and I just, I like this approach, you know, of, um, you know, not necessarily putting too much stock in, in these off-season reports, whether it's Driveline or, or some other uh, place. Especially or, or vague, other... you know, just he went to Driveline. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We don't know. To do I went to Driveline. <laughs> <laughs> you've got, you've got uh, plus. I still uh, throw 59. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, well, well, very, very cool stuff, you know. So, uh, you know, appreciate you. uh uh, doing the interview and certainly appreciate uh, Lars Newtbar taking the time uh, to to join you and uh, share all that information with us here. So uh, really, really great stuff. Uh, if you do have questions for us about anything that we've talked about here or anything maybe for a future episode, uh, you can send us an email at 
rates and barrels. That's all spelled out, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. You can ask in the uh, comment section under the this uh, video on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter. It's not hard, especially Eno. Eno's just simply at Eno Saris. Uh, I'm Al Melchior BB. I don't even remember anymore. Somebody must have had Al Melchior. I'm not sure why I added BB, <laughs> but, but there it not is. Not the football guy. Yes, you can yeah, that's right. Don't Al Melkier FB is somody entirely different. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at Al Melkier BB. So uh, make sure that you uh, uh, find us there. Maybe uh, even give us a follow if you're not doing so already. So also, uh, if you're enjoying the show, please uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, and barrel up on that like button. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube. So, you know, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, We'll be back here on Monday again. So have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. Mm